Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening again to Atresio Podcast. My name is James Chu. I'm the head of investment solution at Atresio. Together, I'm joined by Jerry Salaya, my colleague and chief strategist of Atresio. One thing that actually is quite uh, interesting, and we keep talking about it inside Atresio, Jerry, myself, and our chief economist, uh, John Cavalli, uh, talk about that. It's about FTSE 100. A few weeks ago, FTSE 100 had a historical moment. It finally reached and made it at 8,000. Jerry, I remember you were a bit surprised when that happened. I don't think surprised. I think it was just a matter of time, wasn't it, James? <laughs> yeah. I think the surprise is how long it takes to get there. Yes. I, I think it's one of those things, though, that the FTSE held up remarkably well in 2022 when all the other stock market indices were getting crushed. We were lucky because we, we told all our readers and stuff and people we talked to that we thought the FTSE 100 had the right combination of companies in it as the heavyweights in the index to actually hold up okay in 2022. That proved to be correct. I think everybody else had the same idea. You could call it an old school index or a value index if you want. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. while momentum and growth was being uh, hit hard mm -hmm. in the States and other places, mm -hmm. value value held up well. And I think the mix of what held up was, was pretty apparent. It was oils, miners, things like that, pharma. They all basically found buyers. And, yeah. and that's very much what the FTSE 100 means to a lot of people. It's um, old school sort of tech, if you will, and high dividend paying shares, along with the SIN stocks. You got the tobacco and you got uh, Diageo as the booze. So <laughs> you've got everything covered. Okay. We'll come back to that bonus shortly. When you talk about valuation, I know John couldn't make it today uh, due to his other commitments, etc. But I think, let's just quickly for our audience, why do we think FUSI valuation is attractive? What type of measures do we usually use? Yeah, John usually uses his CAPE, doesn't he? The cyclically mm. adjusted price earnings, which basically mm. looks over 10 years of uh, data, company data, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. says this is more or less the valuation that you should give it. That way you avoid, I think it catches like two business cycles, uh, 10 mm. years sort of data. So mm. you avoid some of the whipsaws that just looking at simple PE would give you. Mm -hmm. And on the mm -hmm. CAPE basis, I know John has been making the point for some time now that the UK is pretty much undervalued still. And mm. you could make a valuation case for people tending to invest in the UK, in the UK mm. market, specifically mm. the FTSE 100, maybe the FTSE 250. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting, because years ago, I still remember FTSE reached 7,000 a few years ago, and then obviously trading around there about 7,000 for a while, now 8,000. I still remember at that point, a lot of my advisors, clients and end clients would say, oh, FTSE 100 is too high. FUSI 100 is too high. I actually, at that point, have a conclusion that generally people in Britain is actually pessimistic. Do you think actually this laggard, this valuation, is actually more because of, you know what, people don't like UK stocks? I don't think so. I, my, my view on the FTSE 100 is actually that it's, it's one of the confirmation uh, sort of indices. And if you go back down to the 80s, you can see where the FTSE 100 sort of led the way sometimes on the mm -hmm. way up. And when it didn't lead the way, then the other markets were left looking a bit exposed, like in 1887. And again, I think, you know, during the dot-com um, bubble, you, you had some discrepancies between what the FTSE was doing, mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. new all-time highs it was making, and what the U.S. market, especially like the NASDAQ 100, was doing. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to be said for, quote-unquote, old-school um, value uh, indices mm -hmm. like the FTSE 100. 
versus what we would consider to be more momentum at slash growth. NASDAQ 100 comes to mind. And these days with all the shares that are in the, in, sorry, the S&P 500, that's got a bit of momentum to it as well in mm -hmm, terms of, you know, mm -hmm. Tesla's and Meta's and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but having said that, I think one of the big problems, and you've seen this in the press all the time these days, when big companies don't want to list or, you know, basically prefer to list yeah, yeah. in the States than here. I think this goes back to the conversation you had about, you and I had about currencies, where remember, if you list in the UK, then you're going to have a valuation in pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a share price in pounds. And I, I, I just can't help feeling that companies look around and see a Tory party, you know, not, we're not too political, Latricio, but see a Tory party that seems not to care about the value of the pound. And therefore, mm -hmm. you have that vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. And so why would you I mean, if, let's say we list a Tricio because we're making billions and billions in revenue, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think John would argue that we should list somewhere other than the UK because of, you know, sterling risk, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, it comes down to wash. You make money in dollars, you make money in Asian currencies, whatever. You know, that's why FTSE 100 does well when the pound does badly because everybody knows that BP makes money in dollars, right? Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Shell yeah. makes money in dollars. But when Shell openly starts mulling listing in the U.S. because they get a higher valuation, then you got to be thinking something's wrong in the U.K. And I think my view is that nobody wants to put money at play in the risky currency. And at some stage, somebody in government will realize all they have to do is say, look, you know, we, we, we value a strong pound. You know, go back to 94 in the Clinton administration, right? Mm, that's an interesting point interesting the other common thinking i heard from many of my investors were fusi 100 is too boring compared to like s p 500 like you said <laughs> you've got the exciting one like tesla etc even asian indexes you actually get exposure to the, uh, china other yeah, house, yeah. Uh, regions there's lack of that do you think actually let me be blunt fusi 100 is a dying index I, I would say uh, no, it's not. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is basically, I, you know, I share the conviction that the UK has lots of dynamic uh, businesses, lots of dynamic people, and they will start companies. They will get together and form corporations. And these corporations, if they succeed, will get bigger and bigger. And eventually mm -hmm. the indices will eventually take them up. So they'll go from AIM to FTSE 350, boom, FTSE 100. And there they are, household name, right? It happens. Mm -hmm. Right, that's a dream of every uh, capitalist. So I, I don't think that's that's too often the case. Um, and in fact, I would say that FTSE 100 has some very exciting companies, uh, which we can talk about later if you want. But in, in terms of the actual index, I think breaking above uh, the 8,000 level was psychologically important. We didn't stay there for long. We came back down in the price index. But I do think we're going to start working above 8,000 again and basically end up closer to 8,500 over the next uh, two years or so. Okay. So I'm looking for a pretty hefty move up. Yeah. But probably still lagging in the other markets. <laughs> it could be. But right now, let's face it, the S&P isn't at new highs, is it? I mean, it, it's still well off. And so is the NASDAQ. True, 100. true. So if true. you're looking at new highs, you know, the FTSE is ruling the roost here. Yeah. Yeah. I think there may be also diversification case yes. now, basically, say, UK investors should consider S&P because of the, I know there's a familiar, familiarity bias in UK, you, the domestic market, we like it. But the growth, the new stuff, the exciting stuff is outside UK. But interestingly, 
people outside UK probably want to consider the boring, since Stockfield, banking, Stockfield, FTSE 100 as well. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for that. But keep in mind that one of the more quote unquote dynamic companies in mm. the in the headlines anyway. And mm. you know, again, there's so many caveats about what I'm about to talk about. One, mm. I own the share. Two, um, it's one of those things that you have to basically take everything with a pinch of salt, and that's what the market yeah. did. Jerry, be real, we all own the share of FTSE 100 because of our pension fund. <laughs> of course, but 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 it's one of those things where I, I was going to talk about uh, Rolls Royce because it's just a yeah, snapshot. Yeah, talk about that. Let's mention that. Sure. I did the snapshot this morning of shares that have risen the most year to date within the FTSE 100. And I was a little bit surprised to see Rolls Royce come up as number one. And it's mm. up like over 60% year to date. Mm. And, you know, we've all seen the headlines, a new guy in charge, sweeping everything, you know, trying to reorganize everything. That's great. The market loves it. And the reason I bought the share years ago was they were talking about, you know, those mini nuclear reactor stuff. And you just go, wow, that's interesting. And also, it's a defensive share in terms of some of the work it does on, on you know, for the defense sector, and that's mm -hmm. interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it got hammered during COVID, but now it's you know basically coming back to quote unquote the middle of the range. And it's one of those things where, technically, right now you should be looking at it saying, okay, if it breaks higher through this current level mm. where it's struggling, then it's actually quite bullish. And mm. yet, from a trading point of view, you and I would be thinking you should get out because you've just made 60% plus on the back of not a lot of change, right? So it's mm. one of those things where traders versus investors will be having a bit of an arm wrestle, I think, mm. right? Interesting. Last question. Do you think actually FTSE 100 is a good benchmark for UK versus FTSE 250? Even no, that what we just yeah. said. Yeah, we, we've always gone back to the idea that FTSE 250 is more um, representative of the mm. UK economy than the FTSE 100. And I think that's a distinction that the market makes as well, because they look at the FTSE 100 at the big companies there and they see international uh, exposure. Mm. And then mm. that's the way it's played at mm. the professional investment level. Mm. So whenever we write about you know UK PLC, usually we take a step back and talk about the FTSE 250, mm. which is fair. Mm. I mean, we, we actually like the FTSE 250 for this year, don't we? Yeah, I think yeah. yeah, we've actually said it should be an overweight in our asset allocation. And yeah. it's one of those things where we like the recovery story in the pound and mm. we like the fact that in our view the fears of a hard recession in the uk are probably overcooked and we should mm. see the you know mid-cap companies if you will do okay this year yeah interesting i think there are a few for force as we conclude this podcast i think obviously what you just said because of the companies the sector made up uh when you put in uh, money in your FTSE 100 or even actually to any indices in the market there may be also a bias to factors like momentum or value I think that's an interesting angle there. yes and number two I think we discussed a bit about why UK looks less attractive from a lot of the punters or analysts that are out there I think the pound is an interesting one the media mentioned about listing rules etc etc which I think actually having good governance is a good way uh, yeah, I think listing rules is a red herring because the yeah. state is just as bad, if not worse. So yeah, it's, it's one of those think... things where, yeah, people would like to blame something, but sometimes people forget the obvious, right? Which yeah. is, yeah, yeah. companies want to chase money. Now. Yes, you, the governance angle, et cetera. So you suddenly feel actually, yeah, you miss some bolts on the tech boom, et cetera, or like the armless thing, et cetera. But it may, just a big may, not be a bad thing if you basically have to sacrifice governance so we'll see about those 
But anyway, okay. Thank you, everyone,、uh, for listening in.、Uh, we have a regular podcast. We will share economic views, share strategy, strategy thoughts, and market views as well. So sign in anytime.、Uh, you could find some of our resources on our website.、Um, then、uh, you could listen to our previous podcasts as well. Thank you, Jerry, for your time, and、um, until next time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, James. <laughs>